Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Our interview guest today is Sasha Kleschen of the LA Galaxy. Before we get going, you can sign up for a subscription to my writing site at grantwall.com. I'm in England this week for stories on Euro 22, and I'm visiting Leeds United for another story. So subscribe now and help me continue doing cool stuff like this. That's grantwall.com. Sign up free or paid. Now, here's my interview with Sasha Kleschen. Our guest now is right at the top of American soccer players who, when they speak, I listen. Sasha Kleschen of the LA Galaxy is in his 17th season as a professional. He's one of three players ever to have at least 20 assists in an MLS season. He also played 52 times for the U.S. men's national team. Sasha, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Grant. It's nice to be here. Lots to talk about here, but I'm laughing at myself because I've covered you for years and years. And I've never actually asked you the very correct way to pronounce your name because I've been writing about you. I didn't need to worry about it, but this is audio. How do you pronounce your name? You said it really well. I, I say Sasha Kleschen, although my dad, a uh, proud Serbian man, would say it's Kleshtan. So like when I played in Europe, a lot of my teammates said my name like the proper way. And especially when I've had Serbian teammates over the years, they're like, you don't even say your own name the right way. I'm like, dude, I'm born and raised in the States, man. I've been here for 36 years, so it is what it is. It's a little bit like Christian Pulisic. Like, he likes Pulisic, and he's got teammates at Chelsea that do not say it that way. Yeah, um, it's exactly the same. I, we <laughs> talked about this when we were teammates on the national team. So you're 36. You're about to turn 37 in September, which is young for anybody who's a, a lay person out there in the world, but isn't so much for a professional soccer player. Um, you're still playing, still getting some important minutes for the Galaxy. What continues to motivate you as a player? Uh, everything. I, I still feel pretty much the same as I felt about the sport and about the game that I did when I was 10 years old. Um, besides being a parent and, and being a husband, the joy that I get uh, just from playing soccer every day is, is just only can compare to that. So Every day that I get the chance to step out on the field and train, like I'm 36 years old, I'm about to be 37, but I still feel like I can improve something every day. And I feel like I'll be that way till the day I die. I mean, like Manny Shellshite, my college coach, you know, he, he's still a player. I think he's, you know, I think he's 80 years old now or, or might be a little bit older than 80. And uh, a player is a player. And I've always felt like that. And I know he still plays and I think I'll still be playing when I'm that old too. So I want to ask you about Manny Shellshite because I don't know how many of our listeners actually know much about him. There is a film, a documentary film that I have seen about him. I don't know if it's been released yet, which is terrific. And Manny Shellshite has influenced a ton of people in the U.S. soccer community. You played for him at Seton Hall. Could you fill listeners in a little bit about him? Well, yeah, Manny is probably the godfather of American soccer or American soccer coaches, maybe, in a way. Um, so Manny came from Germany, um, played in the old NASL, coached in the old NASL, won a few Open Cups over the years uh, uh, with some New Jersey teams back in the 70s, I believe. And then he coached Seton Hall, I think, from 1988 until, I don't know when it was, 2013 or 14, something like that. So a really long time. And he was the one who brought me out to New Jersey and, and was my college coach and really the guy that I credit with 
finding me and nurturing my talent and then just giving me the opportunity to play and to showcase myself. And, and that's, you know, led me to a long soccer career. Uh, Manny's the first coach to ever get the U.S. Soccer A coaching license ever. Um, and then, you know, he was close with Bob Bradley, who gave me that connection. Let me, Bob let me train with the Metro Stars my, my last year of college and got to know me a little bit that way. And, you know, I remember the best story was when I was in college. Sorry if I'm rambling. I went into Manny's office one day to have a talk with him after the game. And, and you know, he's on the phone and he's like, hold on a second. And they're talking about the national team on the phone, the full team who had had a qualifier the day before. And he gets off the phone and he's like, sorry, that was just Bruce Arena. We were talking about the game. And Bruce was the head coach of the national team at that time. And they were, they were chit-chatting about the qualifier from the day before. And I was like, who is this guy? What have I gotten myself into? But I've learned so much from him. We still keep in touch. And, and he's been a, a special person in my life for many years now. I hope our listeners get a chance to see this documentary. I will find out if it's out and how to go about seeing it because uh, it's terrific. Um, and you know, I want to jump around a little bit in this conversation because there's a lot I want to talk to you about, but I I'm going to get into this right now here. Recently after a Galaxy game, you began your post-game press conference by saying you weren't going to talk about the game and you were going to talk about the mass shooting that day in Highland Park, Illinois. And what you said really resonated. What goes into that decision that you're going to, to say that publicly? You know, it just happened to be a long day. Um, my wife and kids were out of town for the holidays. They went on vacation to, to visit my father-in-law. And so I was home all alone all day and it was 4th of July, which is supposed to be a day of celebration for our country. And it turns into another day of sadness, which seems like it just happens every few days now. And so I was just on my phone and I was on Twitter and I was just reading about the stuff and it was just making me so angry. And then, you know, I have to shut that off for the game and, and just play the game. And, and fortunately, we had a good game that night. I came off the bench. I had a nice assist. You know, I should have felt on top of the world. And I got back in the locker room and I was, you know, texting to say goodnight to my family and saw on Twitter again, just more information, what was coming out about the day. And I was just like, man, it just put me in such a bad mood. And I just feel like that is happening way too often. And so I was just like, I'm so sick of, I, I don't know, I had a platform to speak that night and I didn't want to speak about the game. I wanted to speak about what was really on my mind all day that day, when, which should have been, you know, our Independence Day and it's just a place where I could have seen my family at. Like the, there was a parade right next to my house. I didn't go to that day because my kids were out of town, but like it could happen to any of us and it happens way too often. And I was just so frustrated. I'm with you on that, as are a lot of other people. How did you sort of, did you, as your career went on and as you got older, have you be become more comfortable speaking about things like that, making that decision to, to speak the way you did that day? Yeah, I think anytime you take a stance on something that is considered controversial, which it's, it's absurd to me that, <coughs> excuse me, that it would be controversial to want some better gun laws in our country, you're going to face some, face some backlash. And so at this point, I just don't care what people say to me anymore, because I'm old enough, and I've done this enough, and I've had to speak to the media enough that I want I basically got to a point where I want my kids to see what I've done and see what I stood up for and know that it's okay to stand up for what you believe in. And so 
I'm always thinking about them and wanting to be a good role model to them. And, and then sometimes you have a platform and you should use it to make a difference if you want to. I'm not saying everyone has to, but I just wanted to speak on what I believed in and what I thought was the right thing to do and that what I want my kids to look up to and, and be like when they grow up. In terms of the galaxy, how much at this point are you sort of a player coach with the galaxy or do you view your role as basically player only? I view myself as basically a player. I think I do spend a lot of time talking to guys and mentoring <coughs> and uh, giving a lot of time, I think, in, in trying to help the younger guys and just trying to help everybody. And, and so I don't consider myself a coach. I'm definitely not part of the coaching staff, although I have a lot of conversations with those guys. But uh, I still consider myself strictly a player. Partly I asked that is because recently I was asked by a reader, who are the current players who I think will go on to become coaches? And you were someone I included in my answer, but I've never actually asked you if that's something you want to do coaching. Do you want to go into coaching eventually? It seems like the natural progression of things. Um, I've thought a lot about the game in different ways and I'm constantly feel like I'm a coach sometimes when I'm in training, <coughs> excuse me, I'm always thinking of ways that like different things in training that we could do that could help in the game and things like that, which is what coaches do. Um, so last year I took my B license with us soccer and, uh, that was good. I enjoyed that process. So that was kind of the first step in the process. I helped out some Academy teams with the galaxy to, to get my license and it's kind of a to be determined, I guess right now. So, uh, I'm, I'm grappling with it as I get towards the end of my career about, continuing on because it's similar lifestyle as a player where when you have kids and then they have to start moving around and you know they're settled right now and they go to a good school and so <clears throat> I guess the answer is we'll see because I do like it and I do think that I would be very fulfilled as a coach but I've also done some stuff in media recently you know I've did some stuff with Fox a couple months ago I've done some stuff with MLS in the past so it's kind of a we'll see right now. That was going to be my other question is when you're making a decision about what you might want to pursue, and I guess you don't have to choose just one or the other, but to some extent you do. I mean, like on the media side, I think you're a pretty insightful guy. I think you could bring that to a television broadcast or something like that. Like from your perspective, how do you view that decision? For TV especially, I think we might have a little bit of a lack of some personalities on TV that can explain the game tactically and personnel wise, like through a coach's eyes of why decisions are made or why certain things are played in a certain way, why certain things are happening in a game. And I think that's something I would be very good at. Um, I watch all the games and when I'm watching the games, mostly MLS, I would say I watch a lot of MLS games, but of course I study the national team. I watch champions league. I keep in touch with Belgium. I watch the premier league on TV Anyways, when I watch the game, I'm always analyzing the game and asking questions like, why? Why are they doing that right now? Why tactically did they set things up? And it's, sometimes it's easy to figure out. Sometimes it's more difficult to figure out. But I think I'd be able to explain in detail to maybe a not-so-savvy soccer fan why things are happening the way they are. And I think we kind of lack that here in the States. And hopefully, I think we see more of that in the future. No, it's a great point. And this came up a little bit when John Madden passed away a few months ago that I felt like, feel like still, like what you're saying here, we haven't had a coach or a former coach in American soccer television on a national level. I know Thomas Rongan's done some stuff uh, at times um, 
sometimes local, sometimes national. Uh, we've even seen Bruce Arena moonlight occasionally, um, but we're missing that. And I, I realized that part of John Madden was he was like, boom, you know, like stuff like that, not just like breaking it down, but he also broke things down and connected with, um, with fans. And, yeah. and I, I do think there's a niche for that. So if, if you want to do that, man, that, that would be awesome. Yeah, we'll see. Tony Romo is another guy, I think, in the NFL now who wasn't a coach, but was a, a quarterback for a long time. And the way he explains the game to us common fans, I think it is, is really cool. Yeah, now I'm with you on that. So I guess I would view you as part of a tree that includes Manny Shellshite, who we talked about, Bob Bradley, Jesse Marsh, Jim Curtin, maybe even Michael Bradley. And there's probably some others too, I should mention, but is that fair? And, and how have those people influenced the way you see the game? Yeah, hundred percent. That's, that's, <clears throat> that's my tree. Those are my group of guys. You know, I would include Ante Razov now, who's been an assistant coach at LAFC for some years, all guys that the, those younger guys that you mentioned that I got to play with and be in a locker room at, uh, as teammates. And then Bob, I think, is kind of the guy that led all of those guys and having the chance to play for different types of coaches over my career, more motivational guys, more tactical guys. <coughs> but those guys, especially Jesse is probably the one that I'm closest with. Jim Curtin, I've kept with uh, kept in touch with over the years. But Jesse and I, like we were midfield partners for four years. And then, you know, we got back in touch and we played. I played under him in New York and had a very successful time with him. So he's a guy I've kept in touch with too and somebody I really look up to in the coaching world because he was the coach that I've had throughout my career who had the best relationship with player one to player 30. He, he made sure that guys every week knew where they stood within the group, knew whether they were going to be starting on the weekend or not and what their role was going to be. And I think, I think I've learned over the years that that's one of the most important things as a coach is making sure that everyone knows where they stand and that you're honest with them. And he was the best at that. No, it's really interesting. I'm going to go visit Jesse next week at Leeds, get a sense of what's happening over there for a written story. Um, you might know I go back a ways with Jesse. We went to college together. He's told me some fun stories over the years about how when he was on with his family, this around the world trip, and they were staying at mostly hostels around the world, but they did stay with your family in Belgium. And I'm wondering what you remember from that trip and him visiting. And would you have thought then that, you know, he had just left Montreal. So he was, was pre Red Bulls. Would you yeah. have thought then that he's, he would be doing what he's doing now in the Premier League? No, definitely not. Um, I gotta be honest because it wasn't that successful in Montreal. Obviously he had some differences with ownership and left after one season. So it was not like he had this crazy start to his coaching career that everyone's gone. That's the next American coach. But Jesse's is obviously a very smart guy and a very driven person. So it's no surprise to see where he's gotten and how he's gotten there so fast because he is so driven. But yeah, that's uh, I don't think if you would have told me that back then, I would have signed off on that one. But yeah, we're, we're all Leeds fans here in the States now, which is awesome. Now, Jesse did say that he, he felt like he was worried that he was spending his family spending too much time at your place and, and overstaying the welcome. No, it, it ended up being an awesome trip. I mean, they were only supposed to stay one night. I don't know if he's told you the full story, but he borrowed a car from a friend in Switzerland and they drove to Belgium 
and he came to watch one training, I think of mine. And then they were going to leave the next day and go somewhere else. And then the car broke down in my driveway. <laughs> and so it took like a week to get the car fixed. But I think the kids were so happy because they had been like all three to a bed, like sleeping on the ground sometimes going at it. So it was like a five-star resort staying at my place. And it was actually really special for my wife and I too, because we didn't have kids yet. And uh, I think we just learned a lot about parenting that week and kind of seeing, cause they were very free. Like the one thing that always stuck out with us was I think their son was four or five at the time. And we were out at a restaurant and it was kind of a restaurant where you order at the front and then you go sit down and their son who was four or five wanted another bottle of water. And they were like, all right, here's two euro, go to the front and order it. And we were just like, whoa, like making your kid that young, like do that. And they were just like, they were teaching them some independence on this trip. And like, we had a pool at my place. So the kids were swimming in the pool and sleeping in a nice bed and playing with my dog. Like our families bonded a lot over that trip and it was awesome. And then it just so happened that he was there for the last week of the season and he got to come to the final two games of the year that we needed to win both to win the title and we did. And he came out to the club with us that night and partied with my team when we celebrated the title. So it was, it was super fun. That sounds awesome, actually. Yeah, it, was a, it was a good time. We had a really good time. And my wife took his wife, Kim, who I'm sure you know, to yeah. a Beyonce concert that week also in Antwerp. And like, they had like the best time ever. It was, it was such a fun trip. That's really cool. Um, you know, it's funny. I will tell anyone who listens that Chivas USA actually produced a lot more memorable things in its 10-year history than most people acknowledge. And that Chivas USA deserves to be viewed as much more than a failed idea. Are you with me? I'm with you. I mean, the years that we were there, we were pretty good, man. We made the playoffs every season from uh, 06 to 2009. Uh, we were one point off the Supporter Shield in 2007. We had some pretty heartbreak playoff losses that, that could have ended up in MLS Cup runs, but a great group of players, a great group of guys, a lot of all-stars, a lot of best 11 players that played in that time too. So yeah, I think we had some great memories and I learned a lot. Like that was such a special time of my career to learn from all these older guys like Jesse Marsh and Jim Curtin, Ante Razoff, Paco Palencia, Ramon Ramirez, Claudio Suarez. Like the, for a young player, that was amazing. Now it's really cool memories when you actually look back at who was involved with some of those teams. Um, you know, you started playing in MLS in 2006. You're now playing in MLS in 2022. What stands out to you the most about how the league is different today compared to 2006 and what still needs to improve in your mind? The, the biggest difference is when I joined the league, there was 12 teams and now we're at 27, 28. So this is, <clears throat> and there was like one soccer specific stadium or like two, basically Galaxy, Chivas and Columbus crew, if we could even call that one a soccer specific stadium by that time, it was already getting old. Um, so now you see all these places with these supporter groups and the games that are on TVs and like, just so much more accessible and everything is so much more professional. Like we were happy if we got served lunch after training, like our first couple of years in Chivas. Now it's like breakfast and lunch is fully catered. We all have our chefs. We're all spoiled now, you know, uh, where we need to go from here. I'd love to just continue to see the product keep getting better and, and, you know, uh, some more money spent on players. Um, I think the, this TAM era has been really good for the league and bringing in these players with up to this $1.5 million salary level that has really created some very special players in our league. And 
Um, the owners that do want to spend are spending. A lot of them are spending, I think, wiser and better lately. There's obviously still the case where you buy and it's a bust, but that happens all over the world. And, and the scouting probably still needs to continue to get better. And, and, and maybe the research on these players that are coming in that you're spending big money on. But I, I like where we're at at this point, um, whatever we are now, 27, 28 years into our existence, I think, something like that. So we're on the right direction, but um, we can still get better. So we're recording this on Friday, July 22nd, not coming out until Thursday, the 28th. Uh, so I didn't want to talk too much about the day-to-day with the Galaxy, but I, I, I do want to get your thoughts on two teams. And the first team is the LA Galaxy, sort of big picture. How are you viewing things? Big picture, I think Greg Vanny uh, has good ideas and, and we just have not had production outside of our strikers. And so that is our problem, I think, right now, is that we have Dejan Jovalic, who is a killer in the box, and Chicharito, who is a killer in the box. But <clears throat> those are the only two guys that are getting us goals, and that has been our problem. So uh, all of us in the attack need to pick things up a little bit. And, and other than that, I feel like we're on the right track. I'm very optimistic about our team because we have a lot of good players. We have good young players. We have a nice balance And we have a very good locker room, which was not from what I heard like in the past at the LA Galaxy. So things are on the up and up. I think we're, I mean, we have to make the playoffs because we're the LA Galaxy and it's just not acceptable. The results that have been with this club for the last five years, you know, this is not the standard that the LA Galaxy set for the first 20 years of MLS. This is, this is far below where we should be. So I I understand the frustration of the fans. Like I hear from the fans, I talk to the fans, I get it. Uh, I just hope that they know that I'm doing and we are doing our best to try to get things right at the LA Galaxy. The other team I wanted to get your thoughts on is the U.S. men's national team. I'm, I, I love the U.S. men's national team right now. I mean, I've always been a huge fan of the national team, but like I actually think that this World Cup and the next World Cup, they can surprise not us, because I think all of us know how good they are, but people from the outside who still maybe underestimate these kids. I shouldn't say kids. They're not kids. They're men, but they're, they're a lot younger than me. <laughs> but like the, for me right now, the real strength of the team is the midfield. And I really think with Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and then probably my favorite player right now is Eunice Musa. The way that I think they'll be able to handle the heat and the physicality of what the World Cup is like, they are going to dominate. And I think, uh, dominate the midfield. I'm not saying they're going to dominate the world. Um, But those guys are going to be like the engine and the guys that just like grind through the games that just give chances to our attackers and keep the pressure off our defenders to be able to win some games. And then Christian Pulisic, always been amazing like was such a fantastic player to play with i know he can make the difference i hope gio reyna can stay healthy and make the difference uh you know Wea aronson also one of my favorite players i hope he can be able to make the difference whether he starts or ends up coming off the bench i know he'll be a difference maker so very very excited about our national team and when you say Eunice moose is your favorite player why he just has this ability to receive the ball under pressure in the midfield and dribble with power and pace and open things up. Like, I don't have that. I wish I had that. Like he's got this ability to just like get the ball with a guy on him anywhere on the field, beat that guy. And then when one guy gets beat and you start dribbling with pace at the back line or at the midfield dominoes start to fall because a guy has to step out to you and then you got to find the next pass. And he's shown that ability to, 
be comfortable getting the ball anywhere in the midfield and then using that power and that pace and that technique and control to really open up the game. And when guys start getting tired, and like I said, it's going to be hot in Qatar and his ability to just beat guys off the dribble in the midfield is going to open up space for the attackers. And he's so fun to watch. I think as he gets a little bit older, he's going to start adding like goals and assists, which are going to be really important because a midfielder who can have goals and assists becomes a $50 million player overnight. And I see him being a $50 million player. And Bob Bradley's name has obviously come up already here but when I think of Bob, and I go back a long ways with Bob, I, I think of how he likes to challenge everyone, like seriously, everyone, players, coaches, media, and I've gotten used to it and I appreciate it. And I get the sense you might like to challenge people too, a little bit. Is, is there a little bit of that in you? Yeah, which I think I got from Bob because to be fair, when I was younger and he challenged me, I don't know if I was ready for it. Uh, but then it, it made me ready for it. Like I had to, he, he, he told me straight to my face one time, <clears throat> he didn't, he didn't know if he could tell that I cared about soccer and really wanted to make this my life. Wow. And I was like, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, okay, yes, I, I, I know I like to have fun and I'm like the funny guy and I like to joke around and I like to go out with my friends and I like to have a good time. But when I show up on the training field, like this is all I care about. Maybe I needed that at that time because, you know, then it kind of shook me and I had to get back in. I remember then like a couple months later, I scored for the national team and, you know, he brought me into, he ended up bringing me to that pre-World Cup camp in Princeton. And unfortunately I didn't make the team, but I left it all out there. And, and then I went to Anderlecht and, uh, you know, I was back in ever, ever since I made that move and established myself at Anderlecht, he brought me back into the national team and I played every other game under him and, until he got fired. So uh, I love Bob. I'm, I'm glad he challenged me and didn't let me have the easy way out. And so I guess I kind of took that from him that, yes, I, I think I have that. I think that's important to get out of your comfort zone. Like, I don't think I fully, fully knew that until I got to Anderlecht and was far away from my family again and like out on my own that I needed that and I needed that challenge. And sometimes you need to get out of your comfort zone. And so, yeah, I, I, I love that about him. And I think I find myself being like him a little bit. I still get text messages every once in a while from Bob, like about like something I've written or, or something that he didn't think or he thought could have been better. Like, and I get stuff like positive stuff too occasionally, but like it's, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm used yeah. to it by now. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it, 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 it tests your character. That's for sure. But I mean, he's got his ways and he's obviously been very successful and has been a very good coach. And, I'm trying to think of anything else here. This has been just a really nice, fun conversation. Like, where, where do you, how long do you want to keep playing? I don't know. I guess at this point, I just take it year by year. Um, although having said that, I do plan on playing next season. So uh, I guess you guys are stuck with me a little <laughs> bit longer and we'll see. But yeah, I, it's all physically at this point because mentally, I mean, I, I honestly, I think I'm like 25 years old, but Physically, I'm starting to feel the age a little bit, but I still feel really good. I'm able to train every day. I don't like taking days off. And I, I, I like trying to compete with the young kids in the fitness test still and, and all that stuff. So we'll see, but I feel really good. What are the keys in your mind to at least feeling, continuing to feel young? Well, I hang out with a lot of a lot of guys that are like 18 years old. Uh, I mean, the, the funny thing that we always have bonded over is I... I pretty much strictly listen to hip hop music, which is what plays in the locker room. So I'm like, I know all this stuff. I'm not like this lame old guy with no style. I'm like, guys, I'm cool too. You know, I'm still, cool. <laughs> um, 
But other than that, it's just, I just love being out on the field. It's like, we still play a game for a living and it's just a sport. And like, I don't know. I love bonding with my kids over that. Cause they're both very into soccer right now. And, um, they both play on like little club teams in our local area. And my son is like obsessed. He comes to all the games. He knows all the players on my team. It's been really fun bonding with them over that over the last couple of years. And I kind of just like, don't want to give it up yet. You know, I want them to like still see that, that I was a player. Cause you know, I've my, I know my glory days are past me, but like they, they still enjoy watching me play. Just to wrap up, I guess I'm curious because I know you consume soccer broadcast. I know you read coverage, what would you suggest to the media, uh, especially, I guess we've talked about it from a television perspective on what you'd like to see, but from a writing perspective, what types of stories would you like to see more of that you maybe don't see about soccer I, in America? I do think the writing stories, yourself included, about tactical things that happen during the game are important. And I think that part has been pretty good in the last few years. I think there are a few guys now that write about the game in the States that know what they're watching. <clears throat> excuse me, and have a good way of explaining it. So I guess I'd just love to read and see more of that. And then, you know, I'm a big fan of yours. So keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate you right. and what you do for American soccer. Sasha Kleschen is in his 17th season as a professional. Looking forward to season 18, now that I know that you're aiming for that. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Sasha. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Sasha Kleschen as well as producer Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>